Turn again to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. <coughs> For several weeks now, we've come back to this first half of John 15, Jesus' teaching about the vine and the branches. <coughs> we've seen what connections really matter, what really produces fruit for God, only one kind of connection, and that is our relationship to Jesus. We talked about bearing fruit, the fruit of righteousness, especially the fruit of uh, accomplishing God's mission to call a people to himself from all the earth. Then a couple of weeks ago, we talked about pruning and how God will not settle for anything less than fruit from his vineyard. He clears out the deadwood. He cleans back the fruitful. And then last week, we talked, focused especially on the fact that Jesus is the one who makes us fruitful. It's not something we conjure up. It's Jesus working through us, the vine bearing life through the branches. And uh, we began to examine what it means then to abide in him, that we might bear fruit, to remain in him. How does this connectedness work out in practice? What are we called to do? What are we called to be? We talked about the first half of that, that um, abiding means listening to Christ, listening to his voice in his word. Today we're going to consider the last crucial part of that, that abiding means loving Christ, abiding in his love. Well, let me read again. We won't start at verse 1, but let me start at verse 9 and read to verse 17 as we spend one more week on this passage. <coughs> As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit fruit that will last, then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command. Love each other. Abiding means loving Jesus. Have you ever noticed how the more complex things become? In another sense, the simpler they become. The more we make progress, the more we get back to the most basic truth. That's true in this business of being fruitful for God. Jesus uses this metaphor of the vine and the branches. He shows how we must be connected to him. And so we take that metaphor and we've pulled it apart piece by piece and try to see some of the intricacies of what that all means and now we get down to the bottom line, and what is the bottom line? 
Well, way back in the days of Moses, the bottom line was, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. And Jesus says, if you abide in me, listen. Let my words abide in you. And back in the days of Moses, the next words after that were, you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so here Jesus says in verse 9, if you abide in me, abide in my love. Let me read it again. As the Father has loved me, so has, have I loved you. Now remain in my love. Abiding means loving Jesus. Now when we hear that, it is so basic that we have a tendency to say, yeah, yeah, I know that. Come on, let's get on with it. Let's just show me something new. But you see, God knows that we don't know all that. And that's why he keeps repeating it so many times. You think I repeat things a lot. The Lord just keeps on saying this again and again. Remain in the love of Jesus. Abiding is loving. Think about how we talk about our relationship to the Lord. Well, I do this. I go to church, and I try to read my Bible, and I try to be a good person. I try to keep the law. I try to do this. I give. Uh, but Jesus said, loving first. Not our list of all the good things we do. Loving. Do we not know what loving looks like? Sure we know that. We talk about loving all the time. We say, wow, she is the most wonderful person I've ever known. Or we say, Man, did I tell you what he did yesterday? Oh, he's just great. He's just this and that and whatever. Or we say, man, I don't know what I'd do without her. I mean, she's, she's my whole life. She's everything. Or we say, oh, man, when he walks into the room, my heart melts. I mean, this, this guy is great. We know about loving, don't we? Love is not some cold, mechanical procedure. Love is passionate fervent, inseparable, consuming, lasting relationship. That's what love is. Not a list of rules. You see, for the sake of someone we love, we will spend everything we have. We will abandon all kinds of things that we could do, that we maybe should do, that we perhaps like to do, but they're not near as important as loving this person. We'll make a fool out of ourselves and not even care because we're in love. But could that ever be said about our relationship to Jesus? That we'd spend everything we have, that we'd neglect everything else for the sake of loving him, that we'd make a fool of our, out of ourselves and never even care because our hearts are captured with love for Jesus. You see, if that can't be said of our relationship to him, then we may know him, and we may believe in him, and we may serve him, and we may try to obey him, but be living lives that are pitifully unfruitful. Because abiding in Jesus in such a way that bears fruit means living in loving relationship. Listening 
and loving. Oh, but Jesus doesn't just leave us to our own imagination to think what this all looks like. He sets himself up in his love for his Father as our model. We've seen it repeatedly through this gospel, uh, but here it is again. You see, Jesus is not doing his own thing. Jesus only seeks to please the Father. Jesus is not making a name for himself, not seeking fame. He is, though he's worthy of all glory, he only seeks to bring honor to his Father. And even when Jesus is popular, when the crowds are swarming around him trying to make him king, Jesus is stealing away to be alone with his Father. And when Jesus faces great decisions like who shall he select of the disciples to be the twelve, he spends all night talking to his Father about it. In fact, in the middle of raising Lazarus from the dead, one of his greatest miracles, he stops and talks to his Father that everyone would understand what's really going on here. You see, Jesus was preoccupied with his relationship to his Father. Everything else was secondary. He was totally given over to his love for his Father. And that's what he calls us to. That's the model he sets before us when, when, when he says to us that uh, as I remained in the Father's love, remain in my love. He calls us to remain totally captured by this loving relationship to Jesus. So that he's the first one we think of in the morning and the last one we speak to at night. So that he's the first place we go in trouble and the first one with whom we want to share our joys. So that he's the one who we trust absolutely, the one we seek to honor above even ourselves, the only one whose approval matters to us. Well, he is everything because we love him. Abiding in Jesus means living in loving relationship with him all the time. That's how we become fruitful. That's what abiding is. Because he's the one who's able to bear fruit through us. About this time, some of you may say, now listen, this is just a little bit too sentimental, too wishy-washy, this lovey-dovey kind of stuff. Um, I don't like very much of that. Well, you be careful. I'm not the one who boiled it all down to this. The Lord is the one that boils it all down to love me. Love me. But there's a danger in that, and perhaps that's what you see if this makes you uncomfortable. There's a danger that this relationship to Jesus becomes such a subjective thing that it's something that exists only in our mind and emotions and doesn't really have any, it's out of touch with any objective reality. And that's a valid concern, that's Jesus' concern. So he doesn't just stop with saying, love me, abide in my love, but he goes on to unpack for us two things that it means to love him, to abide in his love. The first one is that loving Jesus causes us to obey him, to obey him. Verse 10, if you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. Perhaps that sounds a little familiar to you. Well, it's because we had a whole sermon on that one thing just a few weeks ago. As we began the last part of chapter 14, if you look up at the verse 15 of chapter 14, you have the same thing, if you love me, 
you will obey what I command. You may remember that Jesus said something like that about five times in that last portion of, verse, of chapter 14. In fact, Jesus says it repeatedly throughout the Gospels. If you love me, you'll do what I say. My very favorite one is in Luke 6, 46, where Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I say? And then he goes on to give us an interesting example. He talks about a house that was built on rock versus a house that's built on a sandbar. In other words, a love for Jesus that does not produce obedience, he is saying, is like a house that you built on a sandbar. It's not going to last very long. The first bit of trouble is going to destroy it. Truly loving Jesus cannot be separated from the bedrock of carefully obeying Jesus. Loving causes us to obey. I suspect some of us need to hear that again. So I challenge you, you who say, I love the Lord, I'm his disciple, I want to bear fruit for him. Okay? Is there any place where you won't obey, though? I mean, I don't know you, and I don't know what goes on inside of you, but I know that we tend to develop these points of resistance. We tend to develop these little blind spots, these little parts of our lives that we refuse to look at. We kind of act like they're not there. Texts of Scripture that we don't want to hear, we don't want to read, because we do not want to address this thing. Closets that we have tightly sealed and locked in hopes that God himself will never look in there, because I do not ever intend to do what he said there. But Jesus says, no, if you love me, there are no such places, whatever, whenever, you will obey me. Why is it being so hard? Even when we say that we love the Lord, why is obedience so hard? Well, I suspect it's because we assume that a life of obedience is the opposite of a life of, of joy, which we see. But Jesus says, no, the opposite is true. Verse 10, he talks about, if you obey me, obey my command, you will remain in my love. Then in verse 11, he says, I've told you this, so that my joy may be in you, and your joy may be complete. You see, it's the opposite of what we expect. The joy of the Lord is not just a surging emotion of love that floods over us on this occasion or that. No, the joy of the Lord is the delightful fruit of a whole life that is lived in obedient harmony to the Lord who loves me and who's smarter than I am and who knows me better than I know myself and whose commands are perfect and good for me. That's the path of true joy. It's not, the absence, it's not the absence of obedience, but complete obedience. The true joy of the Lord is for those who have stopped fighting against the Lord and finally learned to listen to him and trust what he says and do what he says joyfully, knowing that he knows me better than I know myself. And his purposes are only good. Loving Jesus 
causes us to obey him, and that's the path of joy. But there's a second thing that flows from abiding in love, from loving Jesus. Loving Jesus means loving one another. Loving one another. Like I said earlier, the more complex things become, the simpler they get. And the more we delve into this abiding and remaining, we find that uh, it's not just uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, but it's the other simple thing that Jesus said, the second commandment, just like this right, follows right on the heels of the first, love the Lord and love one another. Love your neighbor as yourself. Loving Jesus means loving one another. Now that's the point as we go on in this text, verse 12 and 13. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And then verse 17, this is my command, love each other. Notice how love for Christ and obedience to Christ and loving those that he tells us to love all run together. You just can't separate them. You could talk about them hypothetically separate, but you cannot take them apart. You cannot say you love God if you won't obey Him. And you cannot say you love Him if you won't love what He loves. You cannot say you're obeying His commands if you don't obey His command to love. In fact, the Apostle John, who recorded this, these words of Jesus later, wrote some other things that the Lord told him to say made this point even more emphatic. 1 John 4, 19 and 20, he writes, We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother, well, his love isn't quite complete yet. Well, no, that's not what he says. If anyone says, I love God, but hates his brother, but there's a slight inconsistency in his love. Oh, no, that's not what he says. Listen to what he says. If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he's a liar. He goes on. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Loving Jesus means loving one another. So what do we do with that? How far are we going to take that? How much do we have to love this brother that we can't stand, perhaps? Whose views we find out of accord with what we think almost every, at every point. Whose, whose manner just irks us. How, how far are we going to go with this? How much do we have to love? Once again, Jesus holds himself up as the example. Verse 12, love each other as I have loved you. That's all. Just love him as I have loved you. And how much is that? Verse 13, greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friend, and you are my friend. You see, there's no escape. Jesus the vine says that through us his branches will flow exactly the kind of love with which he has loved us. 
a selfless, self-sacrificing, giving ourselves away for the benefit of someone else, all the way to dying kind of love. If through Jesus we have become the recipients of grace, love though we don't deserve it, we will in turn become the agents of grace loving others who don't deserve it. Loving the unlovely, bestowing mercy on those who sin against us even at the cost of our own welfare. There's no escaping it. If we are connected to the vine and we love Jesus the way he loved his Father, the love of Jesus will manifest itself through us toward one another. If it doesn't, we're not abiding in the vine. Grace begets grace. Love sparks love. The life of the vine flows through the branches to produce the kind of fruit that the vine produces. Abiding in Jesus means abiding in his love, loving him. And what does that look like? It looks like us loving one another the way he loved me. Friends, this is not optional. In other words, there is no such thing as a life of love for God that does not manifest itself in love for one another. It's a figment of our imagination that there's such a Christian experience. Oh, people try it. I know them. Perhaps you know them. People who claim to be spiritual giants people with massive Bible knowledge, people who are theologically astute, people who are concerned uh, about personal Christian discipline, but have no time for God's people. They keep their lives and their resources to themselves, even when their brothers and sisters are hurting and in need. Now, what does God think of that? God would say, you may have everyone else fooled, but I'm not impressed. If you don't love the least of these, my brothers, you don't love me. I don't care what you say. You're a liar. Is that you? We have such a nice little church here. Wonderful people. All love the Lord, right? Don't we? Well, look around you. Amen. Just stop looking at me and look around. Just look at other people. Just see who's there while I'm asking some questions. How many of these people do you not even know? Look around. This church full of people who love God. How many do you not even know? See him every week, never speak to him. 
How many people here do you not even care about enough to go and introduce yourself and find out the names of their children? I love these people. Oh, really? As you look around, how many people have you never invited to your home nor been to theirs? How many people do you even know well enough to know if behind their smiling face this morning they are hurting like crazy with a broken heart? Do you even know people well enough? Do you even care enough to find that out? And of those that you do know, how many have you ever lifted a finger to help? See, it's easy to sit here and say we will forever remain in the love of Jesus. That we love him more than life. But if we would not lift a finger, if we would not pick up the telephone, if we would not get in our car and drive five miles, if we would not get out our checkbook and write a check or open our wallet and give to help, to someone in need. If we would not ex extend the compassion of Jesus to even the least of these people, people perhaps who we have difficulty liking, who disagree with us on all kinds of things. If we would not tangibly demonstrate the love of Christ to someone that Jesus loved enough to hang on the cross for, we are kidding ourselves about our love for the Lord. Loving Jesus means loving one another. John Newton wrote many hymns that we remember him mostly for amazing grace. I'd like to close with the words of another of his hymns. Once one which speaks of living in this love of God. One there is, above all others, well deserves the name of friend. His is love beyond a brother's. Costly, free, knows no end. They who once his kindness proved find it everlasting love. Could we bear from one another what he daily bears from us? Yet this glorious friend and brother loves us, though we treat him thus. Though for good we render ill, he accounts us brethren still. Oh, for grace our hearts to soften. Teach us, Lord, at length to love. We, alas, forget too often what a friend we have above. But when home our souls are brought, we will love you as we ought.
Amen. Shall we pray? Oh, Father, in our human flesh we do not have the capacity for the kind of love with which you've loved us. Lord, we tend to be self-centered, self-serving, cling to what's ours, and care nothing about anyone else. And so, Lord, if we would ever be what you want us to be, if we would ever love you with all of our heart, if we would ever love one another with all of our heart, Lord, if we would ever lay aside our own self and our own desires and our own agenda to obey you out of love, Lord, if we would ever do all of that, oh, Father, it would have to be because you, the vine, are working through us, your branch, to produce the fruit that's like you. Do that in us, we pray. We open our hearts to you. Lord, we would not stand in the way. I pray that you would prune away, cut away anything that encumbers us, make us unable or unwilling to do that until we love you enough to obey and love you enough to love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.